what do we need to walk into a promised land? What do we need to walk forward confidently out of pandemic and into new territory? Our scripture tells us that we need trust. Trust gives us hope for the future. It's hard to move forward unless you trust. It's hard to act unless you trust. To trust ourselves, to trust others, to trust God. Because you have to know where to place your trust. You have to have a trust founded on what is good and beautiful and true, and that is God. And from trusting in God, all these other relationships with self and others and the world will follow. But what we trust in is a choice. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Chariots and horses propel us. They can carry us forward into battle. And you may have seen that current TV ad for Haven Holidays. A, a boy races a horse-driven chariot along a beach. It's an ad that just keys in to our desires for power, control, and excitement. Now, we may not all have um, a chariot and horses in our garage and our stables, but we can often have their equivalents, addictions, drives, behaviors, ways that we seek to control what is essentially uncontrollable in our lives. But their power is limited, implies our psalm. They can move us forward in the material realm, but they're only effective in that realm. And when the world turns upside down, when the system suddenly crashes, when mortality strikes, when our emotional resilience is laid low, well then even chariots and horses reveal their limits. The biblical story is that the world with its chariots and its horses will never be enough to satisfy our longings. To know true joy and peace and fulfillment, we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And it's astonishing how some people discover joy in trusting in the name of the Lord. Richard Wurmbrandt was a courageous Romanian pastor. He was tortured by the communist authorities. And he was one day ministering in a street in Russia, and he saw a female Russian officer, and he just felt God calling him to go over and talk to her. And he went over to her, and he said he wanted to speak to her about Christ. And she immediately cried out, and she asked him if he knew Christ. And when he said he did, she fell into his arms and she just began kissing him on the cheek again and again and again and again. He was really embarrassed. And he took her to his and his wife's home and he was amazed to discover she knew nothing about Christ except his name. And yet she loved Christ. She didn't know that he was her savior. She didn't know anything about salvation. She didn't know when Jesus had been born or died or had risen from the grave. But she loved him for his name. 
And when Wurmbrand pressed her on this, she explained that when she was growing up in school, tutored by the communist authorities, they had told her that she needed to believe in their morals. And she wanted to have a picture of this in her mind. It didn't really make sense otherwise. And she knew that her ancestors had a picture of everything that is beautiful and good and true. She knew it because her, her grandmother had had that picture on the wall. And she, the grandmother used to bow before that picture, saying it was of the one called Christos, Christ. And the woman said, and I love this name by itself. This name became so real to me, just to say this name gave me joy. And Wurmbrandt finishes, she joyously found Christ in my home, and now the one whose name she loved lived in her heart. There is power in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Christ. And we're given his name so that he might live in our heart. I'm challenged by this story. Do I treasure the name of Jesus? Do I treasure his living within my heart? Well, thankfully, Jesus helps us in this. He helps us trusting him and treasuring him. In John 16, he speaks to his disciples at the Last Supper. And he's looking to a time when he will leave them at his ascension, except they don't understand that yet. And at that time, they're going to stand on a new threshold at a complete turning point. And it could be a time of great grief where they're going to lose him. But he actually says that the best will be yet to come. The best will be yet to come. And he says, in that day, you will no longer ask for anything. You will no longer ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. In that day, you will ask in my name. And now, for the next 40 days in Scripture, there's absolutely no record of the disciples doing that, either praying or praying in his name. But just after the ascension, Luke writes of the disciples and the women in Jesus' company, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And after 10 non-stop days of prayer, the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost as a direct result of the disciples asking in Jesus' name. And then they host countless prayer meetings through the book of Acts. They pray everywhere, not just in an upper room, but in homes, on streets, in prisons, on rooftops. And as God answers prayers, the world turns on its axis again and again and again and again. In Acts 3, Peter and John meet a, a man crippled from birth at the temple gate called Beautiful. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the healing is instant. The man walks. Asking in the spiritual changes things in the material. There is power 
in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus, it fires up the disciples, it galvanizes them in their actions, and it empowers the kingdom of God to come into being. So these words of Jesus to the disciples in John 16 are vital because they change the disciples' paradigm of prayer. They create a revolution in the disciples' understanding, and they're intended to create one in ours too and in our lives. How does Jesus help us trust in him? Rather than in chariots or in horses, he gives us the privilege of asking in his name. And let's look at four aspects now of this wonderful gift. Firstly, there's the promise. Jesus promises, ask and you will receive. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now, the Jews of Jesus' time, they believed that a name carried the essence of a person. It carried their very soul. And God was often simply called the name because his actual name was considered too holy to be spoken by human lips. But then Jesus comes. God made human. He arrives with a name from heaven and his destiny stamped upon him because his name literally means this, Yahweh saves. In other words, we're now able to say the name of God by saying the name of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's a name that wraps up all these other names. It's a name with a kind of nuclear concentration of power in it. It's the name at which every knee will bow. It's a name unlike any other name. And Jesus entrusts this name to you and to me. This is trust taken to an entire new level. A king in ancient times could delegate the use of his name to a, a trusted advisor, and that would give that person complete access throughout the kingdom. Jesus legally gives us access to the very heart of God and to the resources of heaven. I don't know if you've ever had a, a good friend who's suddenly been promoted to a great height, and it's like part of you can move into that sphere suddenly as well. That's what it feels like. And that's what happens as Jesus is raised to sit at the right hand of the Father, as he hears our prayers made in his name, and he then turns to God the Father to petition for us on our behalf, we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. So you see, although our psalm talks about us trusting in the name of the Lord, the fact is, before that ever happens, Jesus actually trusts in us. First, he trusts in a, a motley band of disciples in John 16 with all their flaws and failures and shortcomings, and then he trusts in us with ours. I don't have to pass exams or jump to a certain height or excel in religious performance to ask in the name of Jesus. No, if I'm a follower of Jesus, he entrusts me with his name to pray with full authority. 
It's astonishing. In the AA movement, there's a phrase often used by addicts. I'm busted, disgusted, and not to be trusted. Except that you can be trusted by Jesus. When you follow him, he fully entrusts the use of his name to you. Perhaps you're listening this morning and you think you're too far gone. He's never going to trust you. You've made too many mistakes. Well, think again. Jesus says, come to me. I trust you and I trust you with my name. And he gives us his name as a passport. You can only go as far as the name uh, that you're going in has weight. Some names have more weight than others. This is my passport. And on the inside of this, because it's a British passport, it says this. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. Bearing this passport, I can cross borders around the world. By praying in Jesus' name, you cross the border from earth to heaven. We have perfect access to our loving Father without let or hindrance and with assistance and protection. Now, a passport is a small thing, it's a slender thing, and woe betide you if you lose it. Any of us who've been abroad and ever lost our passport will know the challenge of that. You've lost access to your homeland. You can't get home. But the good news is that once Jesus has granted you the use of his name, you can't lose it. It always brings you home. And as you pray for other people, it brings them home too. The second aspect of this gift is the proof. The proof of what happens to the disciples when they pray in his name. Jesus has been crucified. The Roman troops occupy the city. They're on the back foot, the disciples. They're at risk. There's every reason to continue hiding in a locked room except that they know that Jesus has risen and is ascended. And the news is just too good to keep to themselves. But it's a spiritual battle they face. They don't need horsepower, they need Jesus' power. And it's Jesus' power that gets released and that we see being released throughout the book of Acts. Demons are driven out in his name. Healing happens in his name. Salvation comes in his name. People are justified in his name. They're baptized in his name. Death is overcome in his name. The world is turned upside down for the good in his name and by his name. Do you need to know Jesus' power working in your life? Before I came to know Jesus, I'd labored for some years with intrusive thoughts, certain intrusive thoughts, which had kind of come into my mind. And some of these thoughts, they're just the stuff of the human mind. We'll all experience them at times. But these particular thoughts had become, had they begun in a troubled time for me, a dark time. 
And I just had the sense that they came from outside me. So I did this. I called on the name of introspection. I called on the name of counseling. I called on the name of therapeutic workshops. I called on the name of wise friends. I called on the name of greater success at work. And did my calling on those names bring healing and wholeness? No. Because helpful though some of those things were, the problem was spiritual. And a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And the solution came when a wise Christian, with permission, laid his hand on me and prayed for freedom in the name of Jesus. Instant joy, instant release, instant peace. These kind of things happen throughout the book of Acts, and they happen today, and they happen in this church, when people pray in Jesus' name with faith. Which brings us to the question, but I've prayed in his name, and certain prayers haven't been answered. Perhaps it's hard for you to trust God. Perhaps you feel at some level in yourself disappointed by God. What's a way that we can come at this afresh? Well, let's consider the third aspect of this gift, the person of Jesus. Because behind the name is the person. Jesus says in John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is talking about two things here. First, our remaining in him. What that really means in terms of our topic this morning is praying according to his character. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're to rest in the presence of Jesus. We're to have the mind and the heart of Jesus, seeking first the kingdom of heaven as he does. The power of our prayers comes through proximity to him. The name of Jesus is not like a chariot or a horse. It's not like something that we kind of get out the garage or the stables and dust off and power up in order to pray. We must never treat his name like that. One of my grandfathers was an amateur magician. The name of Jesus is not like my grandfather's abracadabra. It's not a magical mantra. It's a name that has power in the very chambers of heaven when we pray through faith in Jesus with the motives of Jesus and according to the will of Jesus. But secondly, Jesus speaks here of our, his words remaining in us. His words remaining in us. In the book of Acts, the effectiveness of the disciples is in direct relation to their obedience to his words and to his mission, to his words remaining in them. So asking in the name of Jesus is about both your trust in him, but also your obedience to his lordship. We heard of a Russian woman who fell in love with the name of Jesus. Acts 19 reports of a group of men who fell in love with the effects of his name, with the power behind his name. In one way, this is an amazing story. You'll hear a bit of it now. It's total comedy. It's one of the great comic scenes of the New Testament. But it's really instructive in another. God is doing extraordinary miracles in Ephesus through Paul's ministry. 
and seven sons of a Jewish chief priest, they're kind of false teachers, they try, quote, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus to cast a bad spirit out of a man. And instead, the spirit says to them through the man, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then it says that the man who has the bad spirit jumps on the seven sons and beats them up until they run out of the house naked and bleeding. There's no spiritual authority in just adding in the name of Jesus as a kind of tagline to your prayers, especially if your motives are a bit dubious. You have to know the person of Jesus intimately. Does this mean God always answers our prayers in the timing that we'd like? No. Hebrews 11 is a long account about heroes of the faith who trusted in God and prayed in his name, but, quote, did not receive the things promised in this life. Scripture suggests that there is a better reason for this somehow in God's sovereignty beyond death. It's a mystery, and we come before it with open hands. And Jesus himself prays to God in Gethsemane that God would take away the cup, and he doesn't see that prayer answered. But the word of Scripture seems to be that we need to trust for ultimate victory, even when it won't come in this life. And although Jesus isn't spared the cross, he does see a greater freedom for humankind coming through it. And then finally and briefly, the fourth and final aspect of this gift is the practice of asking in his name. For all their differences, the one way in which chariots, horses, and the name of Jesus are alike is this. They all need to be exercised. An unused chariot grows rusty. An unexercised horse grows flabby. And as we exercise our trust, it strengthens. And of course, we're often required to exercise our trust more in times of struggle. True spiritual power doesn't come through technologies and it doesn't come through animal strength. It's, it's not about raising a riding crop in control. It's about falling in humility to our knees before the living God and asking in the name of Jesus. Asking for things that we long for in the spirit. What's a spiritual aim? It's a longing to see the good news come to Oxford. It's a longing to see our family and friends come home to Jesus. It's a longing to see kingdom fruit in our lives. Jesus doesn't ask something extraordinary of us. He takes ordinary people but gives them the extraordinary power of his name. Let me end with this story. Smith Wigglesworth was a, a Bradford plumber turned evangelist and healer. And uh, he tells of a man who was bedridden, who asked for six Christian friends to come and pray around his bedside. He couldn't get out of bed. And they did this, but they didn't see any immediate results. And they finally left their friend's bedroom, discouraged and hopeless. But as they went outside, one of them said, there's one thing we didn't do. 
And so they went back into the bedroom, gathered around the bed, and they began to whisper the name of Jesus. And at first, nothing seemed to happen. But then gradually, the Holy Spirit began to fall in power. And as the Holy Spirit fell, their whispers turned into shouts. And as they were shouting the name of Jesus, the man got up from the bed, totally healed. You see, they'd begun praying for healing with their eyes fixed on the man and his condition. But when they transferred their focus to the name of Jesus, then God moved. There is power in the name of Jesus. So Jesus says to each one of us this morning, trust me, trust me entirely. I'm with you always. I give you my name to ask and to strengthen your faith in me. Let's trust and ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.